This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Happy Halloween, everyone. This weekend, we officially celebrate Halloween, and with that, carry on centuries of traditions in which the separations between the world we live in and the world of magic and fairies, or dead, or evil, all fade away. Halloween celebrates the chance to engage with beings who are locked away the rest of the year round. In this week's story, Teller Koyapaz shares her own experiences with one such unsettling fey being and her internal struggle between accepting her ancestral magic and maintaining her mental health. Recorded live at Twisted Hippo in Chicago in October 2019, Second Story is proud to present Waiting for the Monkey Man. Did the monkey man wait in my closet? Or the hallway, come in through a window, appear out of the shadows? I don't know, but most nights I was sure he got in through my door, though he came even when it wasn't open. My dorm was one of five in St. Mary's College of Maryland, a tiny public college nestled between tobacco fields, a river, and the bay, wild with woods where it hadn't been farmed. By day, it was alive with students and faculty, the very picture of a small liberal arts college, lovely and bustling. At night, we felt our aloneness. Away from city lights and sounds, you hear nature creaking trees, the scratch and shuffle of raccoons, the hoot of owls, the wing swoop of bats, and in the distance, the lap of waves against boats and rocks. I was sure, too, though I could not hear them, that I felt the dead, always with us, but easier to picture in the cool of dark and shadow. St. Mary's is, if you believe the hype, the most haunted place in Maryland. It is an active archaeological site where the first settlement in Maryland sits atop a once vibrant Piscataway town. I used to love to go to the cemetery at the edge of campus, marvel at graves from 1650, imagine that history loops the then and the now still here. I might have liked some of the ghosts my friends saw. One of the burned nuns, maybe, from when the school was a convent that locked its residents in at night. Divya swore there was one who wanted to be her friend, who knocked over snacks to get her attention. Then again, Divya was always stoned and knocking over her own snacks, too, so it was easy to be skeptical. Josh said he once saw half a woman cooking in the guest house kitchen, and Rivka said she once saw her keys move across the table of their own accord. My poetry teacher said the tree outside her home was full of ghosts, a dozen living in the trees. She had been born with six fingers on one hand, and we believed her. Everyone knew this gave you the sight. I wasn't sure that the monkey man was a ghost per se, and he came at a time when I was seeing a lot of things I wasn't sure were there or not, giant gray rabbits out of the corner of my eyes, my own face in the mirror. The rabbits followed me everywhere but were never there when I turned to look. They stayed shadows at the perimeter. As for my face in the mirror, I knew it was my face, but was it my face? I couldn't be sure. I didn't look like anyone I knew, and certainly not myself. 
My therapist called it disassociating, but I wish my grandmother was still alive. She could have explained things better, like where the self goes when it doesn't stay with you and how to get it back, or better yet, how to keep it from wandering in the first place. I wondered what bundles of herbs she would have slipped under my pillow, what circle of salt would have kept me in, kept the monkey man out. She came to me in forms that were comforting but not useful, a breeze I knew was her, soft brush of fingers on my face, but no advice. My mother didn't believe in the fairies or the ghosts, and she was no help either. She conceded only that it was best not to wear green, and if you ever dreamed of a mirror falling on a baby, you should immediately get up and grab the baby, because, you know, there were one too many stories of the sight in our family not to dismiss it altogether, though most likely precognitive dreams were your brain's way of piecing together everyday information into a warning. She talked like that, my mother. Words like precognitive. I didn't ask, what about a monkey man? What's that my brain's way of doing? I didn't tell anyone about the monkey man, his yellow eyes and yellow teeth, the way he waited, waited all night for me to turn around, both of us quiet in the dark. I wasn't sure if he was a ghost or some other shadow, but I was sure talking about him would be the difference between outpatient treatment and being committed. I was still there enough for that. I don't remember the beginning of The Monkey Man like I don't remember most things that year, but I have two theories. Either he chose me or I chose him. He didn't live in my room, not all the time, but he would come in when I went to the bathroom at night, which was a long trip down the hallway from my corner room, and there was a stairwell right there, and that's mostly where I thought he was waiting because he was never in the hallway when I left my room, but he was always in my room when I got back. I could never decide which was better or worse, to leave my door slightly ajar so that I could run as fast as I could down the hallway and run back in without having to turn my back to the stairwell while I unlocked the door, or to lock my door so that he couldn't get in. But he got in anyway most nights, no matter what I did. When I say he was a monkey man, I don't mean that he looked like a monkey. I just mean I knew in my heart that's what it was. He looked more like a grizzled old man than anything, bent, long-nailed, long-haired, long-toothed, or so I think. I never looked at him. I would be awake the rest of the night, squeezing my eyes shut, refusing to look at him, because then what? I honestly did not want to find out. I'd pray over and over again, God, please keep me safe tonight, secured from all my fears. May angels guard me while I sleep till morning light appears. My grandmother had taught me this prayer, and I wish I had had time to find out if it still worked, even if you never actually slept. In the morning, I'd ask my roommate if she'd felt anything weird last night, and she'd sigh, oh, Koya, and that was it. It is true that right before this happened, something very bad had happened to me and I didn't feel like I could be who I had been before. As a child, I was always making deals with the fairies, begging them to take me, leaving offerings of flowers and pretty things I found around the house. I imagined fairylands as places of wonder, though my grandmother warned me, the wee folk aren't what you think. When they take you, it isn't somewhere pretty. They're wild creatures like we once were. Of course, 
I was sure they could do wonderful things if they wanted to, magic. I mean, people could do magic too if you believed my grandmother, though she warned it was best not to talk about it here. Magic and fairies and salt rings and the idea that a tree could talk to you if you listened belonged in another time and place. It wasn't modern, it wasn't science, it wasn't American. It was just a thing old ladies believed. And me, I believed. The monkey man was haunting me and I didn't know why. Had I called him? Had he come to get me? I'd stopped eating months before. Did I have one foot too close to my grave to keep the line between the living and the dead? Was he a shadow man, a Bigfoot? I didn't know and pre-internet, it wasn't the kind of thing I could find out casually just asking around and I was very afraid of seeming sicker than I already was. My school was small enough that everyone knew me. I felt watched not just at night but during the day by my professors, all of whom seemed to think I was on drugs except for the butch librarian who pulled me aside one day to ask if I was getting the help I needed. Whatever happened to you, she said, is not going to go away on its own. I wanted to ask her about the monkey man. She was a librarian and could help me find out if he was real. If the St. Mary's woods were known to be haunted by half men, half beasts, was there a Maryland version of a Wendigo? But I didn't. I have a treatment plan, I said, which was true though I desperately needed a different kind of one, some ancient wisdom, some information, or my grandmother who I felt sure would have understood that two things could be true at once. I could be, as my counselors assured me, be experiencing PTSD and a long-term general anxiety disorder, something treatable by pills and therapy and weekly weigh-ins, but I could also, maybe even at the same time, not be crazy. Because if there were such things as fairies and ghosts and shadow men and even the angels from my prayers, where did they live but just beyond us? And was it not possible that sometimes those membranes between us and them might be very, very thin? That what I needed was to burn something, bury something, bathe in something, close the gate. I prayed for the monkey man to go away, stopped trying to call the fairies to me, stopped trying to talk to the trees and the plants, stopped trying to see what would happen next, stopped trying to call the future. And slowly, everything stopped, the magic and the fear. I moved to a different dorm and the monkey man didn't follow, though sometimes, even today, I pass him on the street, a flash of recognition in a stranger's face, you, but he isn't coming for me, not anymore. When I feel the shadows closing in at night, I face them. It turns out they aren't real or, like so many of the creatures lurking in the dark, their only magic is a trick, your own fear. I miss feeling like the world is more than me, than what's seen and what's felt are equally true, that the flash of light that is just a flight is also a fairy moving, that anything is possible. My grandmother might have been able to tell me how to get rid of one of the wild ones without getting rid of them all, or she might have said there's nothing to be gained with one foot in the other side. I don't know. With no one to ask, I got rid of it all, though on my best and worst days, I feel it pushing against me waiting to be welcomed, waiting to return.
This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by Deb Lewis and Margaret Marion, and directed by Liz Rice, with music and sound design by Jeff Schaller. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.